0: The difference between the high performers and the average is the ability to identify and use adversity to your opportunity rather than avoiding it or just letting it pass you by. Welcome back to
1: the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, the mission of my podcast is twofold to guide you to an encounter with your own potential and greatness and to show you it is possible to leverage who you were made to be into a business or a platform that impacts the lives of others and helps you design the life that you want. My guests are entrepreneurs and leaders who have had what I refer to as an impact moment and are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series, such as leadership, mindset, happiness, or in this case, the comeback. We are fascinated by the comeback, whether it is a video of college athlete tripping on the track, getting back up and sprinting to the finish line for the win, or the underdog hockey team winning the big game when no one believed in them, or even an entrepreneur failing completely and then getting back up and going on to even higher levels of success and fulfillment. There are a few things in life that are universally true, but regardless of race, religion, or nationality, we love to celebrate people overcoming adversity and shutting down the naysayers. We love to see people bounce back and crush obstacles, face seemingly insurmountable odds head-on, and watch how a commitment to their vision, purpose, or mission propels them on to success after success. My hope is that the guests you will hear from these next few weeks will provide insights into what you are capable of achieving and remind you that the human spirit is powerful enough to overcome nearly any obstacle put in its path. Sweet are the uses of adversity which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in its head. And this our life, exempt from public haunt, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything." This quote from Shakespeare's As You Like It, as well as our next guest, Life Experience, inspired him to write a book and start a podcast specifically about facing and overcoming adversity. So our next guest in the Comeback series is Nick DiNardo. Nick is an entrepreneur, consultant, and public speaker focused on adversity, personal growth, and education. Throughout his career, he has interviewed hundreds of experts on overcoming adversity, dealing with trauma and stress, and the crucial role that it plays in our cognitive development and education. Nick has dealt with adversity his entire life. At seven years old, Nick's family went from living the American dream to a foreclosed home, divorce, and mental illness. He spent a year sleeping on the floor of the one-room apartment and sharing a kitchen with 17 people. He now writes and podcasts more about his journey, the story and science of adversity, and personal growth at nickdenardo.com. I am confident that our conversation will resonate with you and you will learn lessons that you can begin to apply in your life today. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Nick DiNardo, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Super excited to have you on the show and be featured in our series on The Comeback.
0: Pumped to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're
1: very welcome. Well, as you know, because I believe you're a fan of the show. Absolutely. I always kick things off with uh, the same question, which is, if you, Nick, can pick a skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what
0: would it be? Well, for me, I think it would be curiosity. (laughs) it's, it's a blessing and a curse at times, more, more times it's a, it's a blessing. It's always something that, that I've looked at as a differentiator for myself, but, um, I've always kind of been a lifelong learner, not just in, you know, linear ways, but more dynamic ways. Um, so for instance, in business, you know, one thing is, one thing is, is obviously reading business books. And the other thing is, thinking about how you can differentiate yourself in the marketplace and I do that by reading a lot of fiction so um i would say curiosity is is the thing that I would love to turn into a superpower
1: that's interesting so so what do you so you you read books today but what what else do you do to develop that sense of
0: curiosity uh, as an entrepreneur I think it's just continuing to lean into it there's nothing I do as far as People I look towards as mentors and, and being more curious. I think it's just um, constantly trying to look at myself as other ways that I can that I can think outside of the box. I think too many people, you know, I, I gave business as an example of that, but I think too many people are thinking, okay, what can I do to get better in this specific discipline? And they're thinking about ways that they can do it in the box. And for me, it's about how can I think dynamically about different ways outside of a specific discipline, I can get better. So for example, like Ryan, Ryan Holiday talks about this a lot, you know, should, should we focus on one specific area or is it actually better for us to maybe dabble in two, three, four different areas and have those areas almost matrix um, value themselves across those three or four different areas so that we can get better in those three or four different areas. So that's the way I kind of look at it. So like for another example, if you're a writer, Are you you going to get better just by reading, uh, writing books, reading fiction and nonfiction, reading in general, or um, should you potentially start to look in business to get better as uh, on the business side of 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 being a writer? So there's, I guess that's the way I look at it, and, and how I look at curiosity
1: as well. That's interesting. It's just not the any one single thing. It's the aggregate of a bunch of things that when you combine them together level up your ability to have the impact that you want in your in your business and in your relationships.
0: That's right. Did you grow up? Were you a curious kid growing up? Um, I was and I think it was a misplaced curiosity where I just never felt like I I really fit in. Um, So I think it was uh, I can play inside the box. So like I always did well in in school, but I never was engaged. One of those types of things. And and finally, when I graduated college, that's when I actually started to really dig in and, and dig deeply into books and with all of the things that we can do now on the internet, um, digging into you know all these videos all this research that, that you have at your disposal but I think it was I think it was really misplaced and and nobody really noticed it in me and I didn't notice it in myself, but um, it kind of came out after college
1: you said you didn't fit in as a kid. Tell me more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean so it it th- this goes into the whole idea of the comeback. I I love I love the fact that you have these different these different f- themes and focuses of uh, a lot of your episodes. But as a kid, so I grew up in a very middle-class upbringing. My father was an entrepreneur. He uh had his own garage door business. Um sold this business, did really really well. I had a younger brother. My dad built our house, three thousand square foot house he built built from the ground up. and um that was when I was seven years old. My brother was four. Within a couple of months, everything came crashing down. And uh, my mother had her second bipolar episode, and that sent her into a, a mental hospital. My parents divorced. My father uh, through I, I still to this day, don't really know what happened to the money, but he uh, we went uh, bankrupt and lost the house. And within months, all of a sudden, my world had kind of been flipped upside down at seven years old. When my mom came out of the mental hospital, my parents split time. They were very amicable with how they were uh, treating the, the separation and the divorce. And I spent half my time with my mother and my mother was staying. I wouldn't say it was a halfway house, but it was a, uh, a, an apartment building with 17 other you know, apartments. Small apartments, four or five hundred square feet, and we had one bed. And um, I spent a lot of time sleeping on the floor of that of that four hundred square foot room. And we shared a kitchen with these 17 other families. So you didn't have your you didn't have an individual kitchen. You shared it with these 17 other families. So long story short is my world was flipped upside down and I was very angry. I felt misplaced. I felt like a lot of my friends had these. Nuclear families that I didn't have that I that I, that I I was used to, but I did not have at that time. So I I hid a lot of the things I went through. I I felt ashamed. I I tried to fit in as best as possible. I was always trying to be the person people wanted to be around because I think a, a lot of myself felt like I was not I was not up to par. I was not the average, um, and it took a long time before I figured out that that was my differentiator. And I think, um, I think it took my curiosity and also the family, the family foundation that I had around me that helped me to kind of use that adversity to my advantage. And, and now that that's why I'm so obsessed with the topic of resilience today. So hopefully that answers your question, Mike.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it does. It's, I mean, amazing. I mean, I've, I've known you only for a little while and I, I did not know the extent of that story and what a powerful story it is and to be the the man the the husband and the father that you are today first of all congratulations i mean it's it's an it's amazing that given what you've experienced you have this new opportunity in front of you to create the reality that you didn't have growing up so it's incredibly powerful
0: i appreciate that man it's a work in progress and um you know it's an entirely new set of of questions and and modeling that I'm trying to do for my son and obviously my wife as well. Cause you know, with some level of success, obviously now I'm a, I'm an achiever. I'm trying to grow. You're, you're the, you're the same boat. How do you, how do you start to with, with success comes different challenges. So how do you, let's say my, my son ends up growing up in a much better circumstance than I grew up. How do you develop the awareness of struggle that, we may have had, uh, growing up that he may not have, um, have growing up. So how do you kind of, uh, simulate that? And th- these are the types of questions that I ask on my podcast all the time. Cause I'm fascinated by them.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it's, it's, you know, you, everybody's going to have struggles. It's just going to be varying degrees of, uh, of difference, you know, it's all about how you train Your kids, or even yourself, to respond. So, for instance, do you find yourself, even today, as an adult and a and a parent and and a husband, getting stuck in the past as a seven year old kid, or are you able to completely
0: move out of that? Wow, it's a great question. Um, I don't. I never think about those those days or those circumstances. Other than the fact I've tried to own the story, so I do live in the story because I feel like I've packaged it to myself in a way that allows me to use it positively, right? Like I, you can you can package it, you can allow it to package you, or you can package the circumstance. And I've decided to to use it to my advantage. I think I think yeah, I, I still think I, I do lean on it. But I don't find myself kind of dwelling in the past or thinking things should be different um, or, or anything like that. And and I try to um, – I, I I think a big part of it is awareness. Um, I, th- I think the difference between high performers and the average – I would love to get your opinion on this, by the way. But from all the interviews I've done and the conversations I've had and the research I've done, the difference between the high performers and the average is the ability to – identify and use adversity to your opportunity rather than avoiding it or just letting it pass you by i think I think the average person has these moments in their lives and they either notice them and just say okay I'm, I'm just not going down that that route or they just kind of let them flow by them and yeah. when they can use them use them to get better as a person so absolutely no
1: i i think that You know, we both we both interviewed Stephen Kotler recently, and one of his main tenets about high performance and people that are able to accomplish things at a high level is that they use fear as a compass. They use adversity as a compass. You know, they they look at the adversity as a source of strength, and you do too. You look at your experience growing up is now it's not a weakness. It's an opportunity. It's a source of strength. It's, an, it's fuel to create something that is the opposite of what existed in, in your life up to this point. And it's all about the decisions. I, you know, I, I kicked off this week, the happiness series of my podcast. And in the introduction to the series, I, I quote Viktor Frankl. I'm sure you've read his book Absolutely one of my favorites. Man, yeah, I mean, and so here's a guy who's a young, up-and-coming psychiatrist in Vienna, married. He and his wife are about to have their first child. And he has an opportunity to flee Vienna and come to the United States. But it would mean leaving his mother and father behind. And so he chooses to, to stay. And as a result of that, Victor, his wife and his parents get collected by the Gestapo and put on the train and end up in this Nazi concentration camp. And on the very first day, his mother and father, wife and unborn child are killed. Yep. And then he spends the next two years in this concentration camp, but he doesn't. You know, and maybe it's because he has the edge as a psychiatrist that he understands the brain. So he chooses, he chooses, he's going to not allow the circumstances to dictate his future and his response to the situation. And he ends up using it as an opportunity to develop his skills even further. And then, nine months after he's released from this concentration camp, he writes The Man's Search for Meaning, in which he says, No matter what your life circumstance, the last human freedom that no one can take from you is the ability to choose your attitude. (laughs) This isn't coming from a guy that lost everything. You know, now that talk about adversity. I mean, so yeah, I think that high performers and game changers have this unique ability to take adversity and mold it as if it were a piece of clay into whatever it
0: is they want it to become, yeah it's a beautiful thing um so man's search for meaning is a book that I go back to year after year it's fun it's lit's it's, it's the most impactful book that I've ever read and the other the other thing that that I always quote from that book is Frankel says it it wasn't what he what he noticed in the camp was that it wasn't The strongest people that survived was those that had the strongest sense of purpose that were able to persist. And for him, his purpose was was being able to put together that book and share it with the world. And um, I just think that that perspective is so powerful to me, and 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 to be able to use that in our own lives in our own circumstances is just um, is just an amazing thing. What a
1: gift! It's an amazing gift, and that book, you know, there's very few books or experiences that I've had in my life where I would say that X, Y, and Z changed my life. But I was introduced to the book Man's Search for Meaning from another book that did change my life. It was ama- It's an amazing book, and it's called Aspire, Determining Your Life's Path Through the Power of Words and Discovering Your Life's Path Through the Power of Words and written by a guy named Kevin Hall, and he's close with the 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 Frankel family uh, that still is alive today and is working with them on multiple projects. But he wrote this book, and it, and it just it's amazing because one of the one of the most impactful ways that, that I see people being able to deal with adversity and come back from failure time and time again is the power of their words and 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 how they communicate. To themselves in the quiet of their mind, and when you understand the meaning of the words that you use, it changes the conversation that you have.
0: There's no question about it, and and so. Mike Michael Gervais. I don't know. Are you familiar with Michael? Finding Gervais? Mastery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah. Love so he, he's got a great podcast. He's a high performance coach with the Seahawks. Great relationship with Pete Carroll. But he talks a lot about the lonely work, doing the lonely work. So what you just said about about the the words that that we use to to express ourselves, to talk about ourselves, to make decisions, to control emotion. That's all the lonely work that that we need to do that most people don't see. And I think people are really afraid of leaning into that work. I like really figuring out who we are, what we care about, what purpose drives us, what our core values are. Nobody wants to do that work. <laughs> well, very few people, I should say want to do that work. And that's the difference, right? So like Jack Shonkoff is um, the director at the Center for the Developing Child at Harvard University. And uh, the big question when we're talking about this, right, is is this, is this genetic? Is this just ingrained in the person or is it an environment? Well, he'll say it's both. There, there may be a predisposition genetically to be able to, um, to have resilience, um, but it's really about that person and their interactions with the environment that really shapes the blend of our ability um our skills that we can refine to 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 use resilience. So um I th- I think it's huge what you just said about the what we tell ourselves um internally and externally. Absolutely.
1: You know, you've you've read a lot of books, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you're you're a consumer of of content yourself and I know that like myself you you view all of these people as mentors who are mentoring you and, and educating you indirectly. But maybe you could tell us a story about a mentor or a coach that you've worked with personally that's impacted or, or shaped your outlook.
0: Man, there's one interaction that comes to the top of my head, and that is with a guy that we both know, Dr. Jim Afremo, um, who is the peak performance coach for the San Francisco 49ers. When I reached out to him, my book was coming out in May of 2015. And so uh, the book was called The Game of Adversity, based on a lot of the experiences that I would, that we just talked about. And these eight principles that I came up with, based on my own experience, just as a practitioner of, of uh, you know, resilience, not any, uh, I don't have any uh, psychology background, I don't have any advanced degree in, in any of this stuff. It's all just based on experience. Real life. Yeah, exactly. And um and I reached out to him when I was starting to think about this podcast, what it would be, what the theme is, what I was trying to accomplish. And he was the first guest. And um I reached out to him and I interviewed him, had a great conversation with him. And uh, at the end we we turned the we turned the recording off and I just said I was like I was like, Jim, I, I, who's gonna listen to me about this stuff? I was like, I don't have any degree. I just I I just was questioning whether or not anybody's going to listen to me about it. And, um, and he said, this, this was huge for me to hear, but he, he said, Nick, not everybody wants to listen to somebody with a PhD at the end of their, at the end of their name, talk in circles about, about the science and psychology of this stuff. They want to hear from somebody who is dealing with the exact same things that they're dealing with. And that's what you have. You have a story. So keep moving forward on this and that was and i actually think cuz i question myself all the time like we all do it's like what are we what am i doing am i do, am i adding value here and um every time i do i think about jim telling me that and uh he's he's given me a, a huge gift in and in, in just that one 45 minute interaction that we had so that that's that's the first thing i think of yeah now jim is he's amazing
1: um he's incredibly generous and he's written both the, the those those great books, the The Champion's Mindset and The Champion's Comeback. You know, he actually came and spoke to a small group that I hosted in in Phoenix while he was there for spring training with the Giants. And, I mean just an incredible guy and a wealth of knowledge and, and super humble. And I agree with him. I, I I think that you have a degree in real life and that's what matters most to people at the end of the day. You know, it's not it's not the academics. It's the it's the real life experience. It's my wife and I talk about this all the time. Is like when the way that we look at challenges that we've had and have in in life is like, okay, we're going through this right now so that we can help somebody in the future. No. Yep. Uh, I want to talk about your book actually, the the game of of adversity. So maybe you can walk us through the eight uh, principles that you built the book around and talk about how we might
0: apply them in our daily lives as we tackle challenges. Sure. Um, So the eight principles, um, we can, we can touch on a couple of these, but um, the eight principles first is, is the, really the keystone habit and the foundational principle, which is building a growth mindset, which is all based on, based on Carol Dweck's work, which we all know and love. Um, Number two is pro is process over outcome which is focusing on the daily habits and practices that we need rather than being too overly focused with goal setting. I think we have an over-reliance on goal setting. So that's one of my favorite, favorite uh, principles here. Number three is based on stoicism, which is focusing on what we can control and our relationship with failure. Number four is is building self-awareness. Number five is is focusing on goals that are bigger than you. Focusing on purpose, as, as we touched on with Viktor Frankl. Um, number six is is standing on the shoulders of giants, which is just it, it's really about perspective and and understanding the challenges it's really understanding history and the challenges people have, have gone through before you and putting your own circumstances in perspective. Number 7 is about preparation, which i think is key, and then number 8 is is about gratitude and again appreciation over expectation. So those those are the 8 principles that i came up with again, there's no science or psychology behind it. It's, it's it was a process that i started back in early 2014. I just said what are the really key pillars for me, and I tried to build it off of, um, you know, John Wooden's pyramid that is really, really uh, impactful to me. And I just said, you know, are there a couple of keystone habits here and, and and how do you continue to to scaffold and build off of it? This episode
1: is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I'd love to dive in a little bit more uh, into the the concept of process over outcome and specifically the statement that you made that we have an over-reliance. We've developed an over-reliance on goals. That is That is so on goal setting in particular. That is... So, counterintuitive to what the entrepreneurial culture is preaching today.
0: So, maybe you can unpack that a little bit more. Not a problem. So, I think we hear a lot about goal setting and moonshots and how we need to, you know, develop smart goals and, and just all of all this stuff about goals. But to me, that never worked. And I started to look at what the really consistent excellent high performers did in sports. I always, I always tend to gravitate towards sports because I just think it's a microcosm for life. And I've spent time playing it and just studying it. I just love to see how people make decisions in clutch situations and when they fail and lose and what happens. And when I look at guys like Bill Walsh, I look at guys like Bill Belichick, they never focused on winning. They focused on developing a set of core values that they could then instill as a culture and, and develop day-to-day tasks and routines that would then get them in the position to be able to win on a consistent basis. So John Wooden, for example, um never said the word win with his teams ever. Never use, never used the word. And this comes from literally every single player from those 10 championship teams that he had but what he did do and you can look if you look up John Wooden practice you can see like an example like a written example of what his practices looked like but he would set up a 2 hour practice he would begin on time never a minute late or a minute early and he would end on time never a minute early or a minute late because he respected his players time and every down to the minute that whole Practice would be completely scripted so that they, they were getting the optimal value out of that two hours. And then he expected his kids to focus on something else outside of those two hours. Now, obviously, the game has changed in basketball and, and football since then. So it may not be applicable, but I think the concept is right where let's focus on these two hours and let's do this today. Let's do this tomorrow. Let's do it the, the, the following day. And over time, just like in karate kid, wax on wax off over time, you will be in the position to deal, to be prepared to win on a consistent basis. He even said during game days, he's like, I might as well be in the stands. I don't need to coach on game days because I've done my coaching during the week. Right. And Bill Belichick's the exact same way. Um, You know, do your job. Nick Saban talks about process, right. All the time. And um, everybody who is, successful overtime is focused on these processes. There's another example. uh, What's his name? Scott Adams. You've seen him on a bunch of interviews. He talks about um, losers have goals, winners have systems. And I I think a lot of it comes down to goals, focusing on these long-term goals, reduce your current happiness because you're always focused on future states rather than present states. And I think goals are a lot of times you're setting a future state that you will only meet and not really be able to exceed. But if you focus on the day to day processes, you could achieve those goals and exceed those goals. You know what I mean? So you're, you're, you can set yourself a, a, a new future state that you may not have thought was even possible. So there's a couple of reasons why I think it's I think it's really valuable. But by the way, a caveat: I'm taking a hard stance on the goal setting thing. But if it works for you, cool. And I think that both work. I think setting pro setting up process goals is really the way to go. I just think that too many people get overwhelmed and when they when they don't goal set the right way, they begin to fall short so often that they start to really get in their own heads about who they are and and what they're about. And if they start to fail too much, then they're then they're never going to achieve what they want to achieve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you set a goal out there that that is just, you know unachievable or unrealistic, or, or even if it's realistic, but you don't have a process behind it to, to get there, it, it's going to be overwhelming and, and it's going to be frustrating. And, you know, you mentioned Nick Sabian and, and yeah, I mean, I, I read an article about him. I think it was, I think Ryan holiday actually wrote, wrote it about process and, you know, the average play in football lasts about seven seconds. But there's so much going on. There's there's so much going on, and it's all of the preparation that they did in advance, that in the process they followed, that allowed them to execute that play without having to think about it. You know, and and because they're not having to think about how they're going to execute the play, when the play does not go according to plan, you know they're able to adapt. And, and pivot without having to think about it and it's because they did all of that preparations uh, in advance and that ends up becoming the
0: bridge between expectations and reality exactly dude I, I, absolutely there, there, there's there's always a great example and we could talk about that so i'm 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 caveat. I'm from, I'm from Boston. So I I talk about the Patriots a lot and some people agree or disagree with, with, with my talk on the Patriots. But I think if you look at consistent high performance in, in sport, I mean, it's tough not to look at them. So two years ago, when they won the championship against the Seahawks in that season in week four, people forget that people were, were, were calling for Tom Brady's head and they were, they were asking for, you know, they were, they were, they were thinking that Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo may, may start the rest of those games, the rest of the 12 games. And this was during week four, of the Kansas city, the Kansas city chiefs game. when We went to Kansas city on a Monday night and Kansas city beat the living heck out of the Patriots and Belichick. They talked about at halftime. What did you say to the guys? And uh, I can't remember the exact words. It's, it's, there's there's documentation on it, but he said, I just wanted these guys to compete. He said, I thought the environment was set up so that we were probably going to lose. But um, the way that they competed in the second half showed me how they would respond to the rest of the season. So that so that was interesting to me because I was like, OK, he's a, hold on. You're telling me he's looking at this as if this was going to be a loss. He, he went into the game looking because the, they were going to Kansas City, um, you know, the travel, all this sort of stuff. He he thought that they may lose, but he was looking at the the deeper core issues, how, how the team would compete and work together to uh, respond to a tough situation and how they would be able to come together as a team. And that's exactly what they did. They ended up coming together and they ended up, you know, winning that Super Bowl um, in dramatic fashion. But that's just kind of an example of, the difference between somebody who's an average coach will last three or four years and somebody who, um, who transcends, you know, coaching in general.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's something that we can all apply on our daily lives as well, because what he did there was instead of focusing on the pursuit of a win or even the pursuit of a championship, he empowered his players and his staff and, the entire Patriots organization to construct whatever reality they ended up wanting to, to to construct, and and that is a key tenet of in a in a book uh, uh, called The Happiness Advantage, and it, and it has to do with the growth mindset that it's not about the pursuit of it's about the the construction of our reality, and it's totally within our power to do that. You know, regardless of what. Other people, the naysayers in the world out there are going to say that you can't do that. That is garbage. It is totally within
0: our power to construct whatever reality we want. It's a great point. It's a great point. Um, And one of the other things that I talk about in the book is, and that I go back to a lot, I think I would position it differently in the book, but um, is about, Prepar- is about preparation. Well, th- is exactly what we're just talking about. And the reason that preparation is so important is it allows you, it, it is the, the execution point for being able to control your emotions. So like, I had a conversation with a guy that you should get on the show, Dr. Glenn Fox. He is at, uh, he's a neuroscientist at um, University of Southern California at the Brain Creat- Creativity Institute. He is focused on on the science of gratitude and setting up these different brain scans and studies around uh, trying to quantify gratitude and why it's so important. But he talks about um, uh, emotion. A lot of people say, put your emotions to the side. And he said, actually, what studies have shown is it's really about our ability to control those emotions and use them in the way that uh, best Fits our personality, so his example is Pete Carroll versus Bill Belichick. So once, you know, somebody a layman would look at them and say, "Okay, Pete Carroll is highly emotional, and that's that's his style." And Bill Belichick has no emotion. Well, no, he actually sets up an argument for how both of them are completely emotional beings, but they control their emotions and leverage it in completely different ways. So, like Bill Belichick is an emotional. Person, but he just the way that it manifests is completely different than Pete Carroll, right? And um, it's it. If you go to uh, Sweet Adversity Podcast sixty one, that our episode talks all about that specific example. But I always find that to be really interesting, and the way that you that you are able to control those emotions is through consistent preparation and targeted preparation, deliberate practice. Yeah. No, you mentioned
1: awareness earlier, and. I was just thinking about like, you know, the the whole concept of being grateful and, you know, writing down your gratitudes and documenting the things that you're, you're grateful for. It requires a a sense of awareness and attention for it to be effective though. Like, you know, like you, I could just say, I'm grateful for this interview. And like, I, you know, I mean, I can have like, I can do it out of like rote responsibility, but if I, it's not going to have an impact in that way. But if I bring my awareness and my attention to that one moment and, and I can relive that moment or really just elevate that, that moment that I'm grateful for, and it does have a big impact because you're, you're bringing all of your awareness and you're focusing it in on this one thing. And when you're doing that, nothing else
0: exists except for that one moment, which you are grateful for or not grateful for. It's your choice. No, no question. Uh, Dr. Jim Afromo talks about it in The Champion's Mind. Self-awareness is the key to change. So how do, you, how do you apply that? Well, the only way that we can improve is if we use awareness as a means for diagnosis, right? To be able to do that. And you've done it with a scorecard. Like if you, if you don't have a tool like that to be able to see who you are at this very moment, th- that's the only way that you can figure out how to improve from there. Um, and, and you're right. You need that awareness to be able to, I think the awareness and the, the general, the general kind of care and authenticity to really look at that and say, okay, that's, that's how I'm going to apply myself to be grateful. Like, cause otherwise there's no, there's no point. You can, you can just half-ass gratefulness just because people say that it's, it's going to make you better. So great. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to just apply a, a great, a, a gratitude practice. I agree.
1: I mean it's like I mean you know it's like driving if you if you were just sitting in the in the driver's seat and you got on the highway and you weren't focused and you didn't have your awareness in front of you and around you and you didn't have control of what you were doing you're going to end up injuring yourself and others. And and you apply the same thought process to everything in life and you're going to have either a, a tremendously positive impact in the lives of others, or a negative one, absolutely. Yep. So, so you know, there's there are people listening right now that have had, they've faced adversity, they've had challenges, they've had setbacks, and they know, bubbling underneath the surface and in their heart and soul, that th- that they're not done yet, that they need to dust themselves off and and get back in the game, but they don't have a process or they don't know exactly what steps to follow, how would you coach them through getting, getting back up on their feet and
0: in the game? Um, man, it depends on the person. It really does. Um, but I would say, I would say the first thing is trying to train the muscle to identify. So, so the identification process is, is, is huge. This guy, um, Tim kite, who is the founder of Focus Three Consulting, and he he came up with this heuristic. Um, e plus R equals o. This is how this is how I usually take people through the, the foundational thought process of like, okay, let's like, let's put a, an equation or like a, just a thing to what this adversity stuff is and how we can improve. E plus R equals o. Um, event plus response equals outcome. You can't control the event and you can't control the outcome but you can control your response to these outcomes. So like what I would do is is I would have a person literally brainstorm 10 specific Tough times that they've had, and that can be small things on a daily basis. Let's say they got into traffic, commuting to work, and they couldn't they couldn't keep their emotions in check, and they they flipped somebody the bird. Okay, cool. That's an adversity moment. Mother had cancer and dealt with dealt with that. Sister had me- mental illness. Like writing down all these things, and these are the events, um, and then writing down what those outcomes are, and then what your response was in that moment. And I would then look at that. This is an awareness exercise, too. But um wh- how you would respond, knowing what you do know now and and what the optimal response is. and seeing if if you did respond in the optimal way or if you didn't, and looking at those, and then we could review them together. So this is kind of a a base a baseline setting of of what this is. It's almost like looking at game tape. Right, like, like let's let's take a look at the how do you, how do you know how to how to improve for the next week if you're not looking at game tape? Um, that's that's the first thing that I would say. Number two is then you're able to look at maybe those eight principles, the top two that you need to focus on. And for me, it's always about developing that process and backwards designing from where we want to be. So you may have specific goals, or you may just have like general themes of. of of what you want to potentially accomplish based on what your core values are. Or maybe we have to develop your core values, something along those lines. But I would start there. I think it would be an awareness type exercise based on what events and outcomes were and what your responses were or what optimally we want to get to. And then trying to figure out how to develop a process, backwards designing a process so that you're living day to day the way that you want to, to get to, if that makes I sense. I love
1: the idea of, of reviewing the game tape. I think that we we don't spend enough time reflecting on our life and and our response to certain situations. And we end up being like a pinball machine where we've been launched out there and we end up hitting a wall and then we bounce onto another wall. And it's it's the walls that we run into dictating the direction that we end up going in. As opposed to the other way around when in reality we are not passive beings we are in full control of our capacities for the most part and our abilities to to change our future and i i love the idea of of reviewing the game tape and i think that that's critical you know in the middle i'm a military brat and you know my, my dad always refers to it as an after action review and so we try to have those in our in our business, and after we have a meeting with a client, you know taking a, a few moments to review what went well, what didn't go well, and what we can do better next time and and the results of that meeting if you don't do that,
0: how are you going to improve yeah and it's again that's part of the lonely work, and a lot of people don't want to go through that process because it may be painful it may it may show some failures it may show some shortcomings, it may show some work that you didn't do. The only way to continue to improve and achieve what you want to achieve is is to do that sort of stuff.
1: Nick, I want to say uh, take a moment to say thank you to you and and appreciate you for your vulnerability. It's it's a great strength, and people don't think of vulnerability as a strength often enough, and it's incredibly powerful. And I want to appreciate you for sharing your story and for creating, stepping out in the world and creating. Uh, the sweet adversity podcast and, and and giving people an opportunity to come in touch with their greatness through struggle. And so I just want to honor you
0: for continuing the to construct your own reality. Mike, I appreciate it, man. You you're doing some amazing work with the Impact Entrepreneur show and um, I'm excited to be a part of it. Thanks for sharing the story. If there's one thing that you want people to remember from our conversation before we say farewell, what would it be? I think it's own your story. A lot of people will compare. We'll do the comparison game on oh what, what what Nick went through is way more than what I've been through. And it's not about that. It's about figuring out the things that are important to you and the small to large uh, moments in your life that have made an impact on you and owning those owning those things and just thinking about it internally rather than comparing yourself to what other people have have gone through so just own your story i think that's the biggest biggest takeaway i love it thanks nick uh where can we point people
1: to your show and to and to your book and any other activities
0: online yeah you can find more about the show at nicktonardo.com forward slash sweet adversity the the show is also on itunes and stitcher if if um if, if you're there and the book you can find right on the website, it's also available on, on Amazon as well called The Game of Adversity. Right on. Well, we, we will be sure to link to this and,
1: and all that stuff on in the show notes. And again, Nick, just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Yeah, the man, Mike. Appreciate it. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you the Clarity of Purpose scorecard and the six bridges to personal growth and well being. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download these amazing resources today and start using them. Nick, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show today, for sharing your story and teaching us how we can turn adversity into opportunity. If you missed any of the key points during our conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash six zero for all the key points and highlights from the conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Now, until next time, go make an impact.